They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flan bay, it's the open run. I miss my grandmother. I learned so much from a woman who didn't have the greatest education in the world, but her intellect of curb, and I've told this story before, I'm sure I have, on this podcast. But consistency breeds greatness for the most part. And if you don't see it, well, maybe it's not for you to see, but she was great. She taught me so many things that I didn't get when I was younger. She would tell me these bars. She had bars. Definitely had bars. She'd say, well, if you're going nowhere in life, any road will take you there. But I get it now. If you go looking for trouble, you're bound to find it no matter what you find. Mm-hmm. She always used to say, I'm going to learn you today. And she did. She taught me all kinds of games and magic tricks and stuff. Learned how to play gin rummy. She was cheating. I couldn't tell my grandmother she was cheating. I want to get the beats. You know how that works. Now, every action, especially with your dear old gramps, requires a direct and opposite reaction. Naturally, I had to bite my tongue. But I did learn a lot from her, and it made me think about her daughter and my first teacher, my dear old moms. She is my first teacher. I learned everything from her in the beginning. She was the genesis, the alpha and omega to my early everything, period. And as Mother's Day approaches, I want to give flowers where they're due, whether they've passed, and I've always given the flowers when they were alive, too, and when they're here. So shouts out to moms everywhere, and my mother in particular. To go back to my mother's mother. Something else she told me, she said, life and what you do in it is like a nickel. You got to decide how you want to spend it. Use it wisely. People think it's a game. And if it is the game, we've been playing games out here in the basement all day, watching TV and sipping on IC together, talking, listening to her. She said, this life is chess, not checkers. It's more complicated. Although checkers, you got to be smart to play some checkers too. But I get what she was saying. Elevate your thinking. Elevate your movements, change your perspective, you change your life. My father, blessed dead, was also a lot in the same way. Brilliant dude. We used to play chess occasionally. He taught me the game. And on a trip when I was DJing in Europe for parts of my summer during my university years, I picked up this Onyx computer chess set while I was shopping in Lausanne, Switzerland. This was shortly after April 29th, 1992, 30 years ago. That very day, four white police officers were acquitted of beating Rodney King like he had sexually assaulted the president of the United States' entire family. And the only reason they got away with it, you'd think that they wouldn't get away with it as they had and as as rappers have been talking about for years on songs before this, before the riots started, before they burned down L.A. But somebody caught it on video. How long have we had body cams on cops' uniforms since this? Hadn't been 30 years. Still, George Floyd happened. Jacob Blake happened. Young man in Grand Rapids who just got killed by a police officer wrestling on the ground. He shot him in the back of the head. That's detaining him. I don't know how much changed as a result. 
But back to the topic at hand, because that was on my mind. I actually purchased a T-shirt in the store over there that reminded me of that. When I was picking up this chess set, and I was thinking about my father. I wanted to play with him. I didn't realize that the next time we played that chess set, it would be the last time we played before he passed. But we played it. He was in awe of the beauty of it. And I was in awe of the fact that I thought so much to give him this thing. It was a game, but it really wasn't. My grandmother told me that. My mother taught me that. And my father taught me the game. I'd eventually end up playing with some other guys that I'd gotten close to over the years. And they're pretty good at it. The ruler Zigzag Ziggala and the genius Zigzag Ziggala, a.k.a. the Jizza and the Rizza of Wu-Tang Clan. And recently I had a conversation with some friends about a lyric where the Rizza shouts out all of us on a song called Wu-Tang Clan Ain't Nothing to Fuck With. At the end of the song, Rizza's giving shouts out. Not shout outs, the shouts, not the outs. I am the syntactician. These things do matter to me. Even though last week I think I said timeouts instead of times out. That's on me. I'll take that out. At any rate, at the end of the song, the RZA says, Peace to Kelly Wu from the Gavin, Will Strickland, Jason Staten, true, true. And we sat and we kind of talked about why and how that all came to be. How we were immortalized on this historic album that people still talk to us about 30 years later. We're going to do a big thing on the podcast on the 30th anniversary next November. I think it's November 9th, 2023. I'm hoping we're around that long. Still doing this and still doing it on a bigger and better scale. Drop those likes, retweets, and quality, quality reviews. I'm with it. But my man Kelly Wu, my man Jason Staten, we sat and we talked about that. And you can find it somewhere online. It was on Jason's Twitch channel called Creative Conversations. I think I'll post some links for it. You can check it out yourselves. See a little bit about my history with that thing. But it started, like I said, the genesis. My grandmother talking to me about games and schooling me. Then my mother, my first teacher, schooling me. My father schooling me on the game. Schooling with, I'm not going to tell you who beat whom between me, Riza, and Jizza. Let's just say they were all spirited games. I'll put it like that. And those guys, we shouted out. We all have great relationships with each other, even with the distance and the time, 30 years later. And I'm a fan of these types of games. I'm a fan of learning stuff. I realized that Uno is not a kid's game. And if you didn't know, I'm the GOAT of Uno. I cannot be defeated. Yo soy el gran campeón del mundo de Uno. In any language, you can get this work. And I realized how much Uno was like chess and that you have to protect your queen. And so as I think about my grandmother, as I think about my mother, as I think about my son's mother, as I think about the women in my life who have helped me to ascend, help me to know when I'm out of pocket, but also let me know when I'm good and encourage me and support me. This is to honor them as well. And I'm going to honor you by welcoming you to the open run, Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. I already said what I'm going to say about Uno. If y'all want this work, you know how to find me. I just gave you the information. You got all the answers to the test and you're still going to fail. What's not failing is the opening also of the WNBA's 26th campaign this May 6th. I've been watching some of the preseason games. What I said last week about Lynn Dunn and the Indiana Fever, remember I said that. They look good. And they got a bunch of rookies out there, kind of like New Orleans Pelicans, doing work. Young team on the rise. 
be aware then as they get grizzled and learn a little bit more about the WNBA game, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be must-watch TV for me personally. But what we also must watch as this season will begin without the great Brittany Griner, who's still in a jail or prison. I think it sounds better if you say prison. Not to say she's not without culpability in the transaction, for sure. Didn't follow the laws, but an American citizen over there for something like this, it looks like a political play. As a matter of fact, with U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi in Kiev meeting with Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky, does her mission also make a stop or is she there to negotiate on the front lines for Brittany Griner's release as well as the freedom and sovereignty of Ukraine? I guess we'll find out. Basketball and politics are funny. Look at a guy like Royce White, what spoke about a couple of weeks ago on this podcast in regard to his running for office in the same district in Minnesota, where Representative Ilan Omar is firmly entrenched, firmly ensconced, as I like to say, in a seat that has not been without a Democrat sitting in it since the 60s. But somehow Royce White believes he's going to overtake her with the help of former Breitbart champion and down J. Trump advisor Steve Bannon. At cursory glance, it looks like he's really running for office. He's not. Not this office. This is about drumming up support and visibility and having a black face that's in tune with these far-right ideologies. Keep watching. I'm paying attention too. Chess, not checkers. Remember that. And who played chess her entire life as a basketball lifer is Rutgers University. Head coach C. Vivian Stringer, male or female, to ever take an HBCU, a historically black college and university, to the big dance, the national championship game of the NCAA. Did so with Cheney State way back when, 40 years ago this year. She's about to retire after a 50-year career where she helmed over Cheney State, Iowa. They were a powerhouse there. And of course, Rutgers. Over a 1,000 wins. Hall of Famer. She took three different teams to the Final Four. I want to give her her flowers, too. So fare thee well, Coach Stringer. And hopefully you enjoy the flowers we doled out with our special guest on the other side of this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back in the more of what you asked for, it's the open run, Will Strickland, in conversation with my man, Mike Patton, the general, El General, Miguelito. How you doing, brother? What's going on? I'm doing great. How are you, man? Trying to maintain it now. For those who don't know, Mike is the host and producer and writer of Touring the AFC South, big football guy, also a big sports guy in general. But I felt like this was a very apropos opportunity to have you on. With everything that was going on, I mean, you're big time in us right now, you know, national TV spots and the peacock, peacocking around with brothers from another. But we're not worried about that right now. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But as we do with each and every one of our guests who comes on the podcast, we want you to run your resume, sir. So start off your athletic career and how you got into sports and, and why you got into sports writing in general. Well, athletic career, played sports pretty much my entire life. Went to college, University of Tennessee at Martin to play cornerback. Of course, there the first day, coach looks at me playing cornerback, says, no, you're not going to play cornerback anymore. Mm. Moves me to safety. So pretty much played safety my entire time in college, safety and special teams. Played against one uh, Tony Romo in college, actually. Oh, for real? <laughs> yes. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't know that. Run. We never knew he could run, actually, because he was killing us in the passing game so much. 
But wait, uh, wait did, did he truck you, Mike? Tell the truth. Did he truck you one time? You came to the line and like no, you saw to be the riding lot, and <laughs> he didn't have to run against us. I mean, they they dominated us. No doubt. No. Okay, <laughs> so you at but, UT uh, Martin? Yes, sir. The, the Skyhawks, as the okay. they call us. Do you have aspirations going beyond beyond uh, university and playing professionally? Uh, when I first got there, yes, I did. But as time went on, I, I kind of knew, hey, I'm probably not going to be an NFL player. Be nice, but I know I'm not going to be. So, you know, let's get this degree. Let's let's move on to the next phase of life. You know, the biggest thing is get the degree, uh, graduate, and, and be able to set yourself up for the next step. So no doubt. That, that's what it was. <laughs> what was your major there when you were in school, and what did you decide to do after you got out? Well, major was marketing, which uh, mm. a lot of people don't know. But, yeah, my major was marketing, not communications or anything like that. People would think it, but no. You know, got to the a little bit into the banking world, stuff like that. But, you know, of course, sports still always called me. And uh, sports uh, back in 2008, they called me again when they sent my wife to kind of challenge me. And that's how writing and my foray into becoming a sports writer and podcaster began. Wait, wait. So your wife challenged you in what way? Like y'all had to play football or something? <laughs> what are you talking about challenging? <laughs> she actually, um, we were riding back from Atlanta before we got married. And I was listening to something. I can't remember exactly the argument. It was on 92.9 The Game. And mm -hmm. it had me so mad. I was so mad listening to it. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I was so mad. She was like, well, why don't you? So right. I took that as a challenge. In 2008, I actually wrote my first thing. And I was at that point, it was the Everyday Man Sports Blog, which is a mouthful to say. Did that. And of course, I didn't have a computer at the time. So all of my writing was happening on my BlackBerry phone. Every <laughs> single BlackBerry, right. Yes. <laughs> so I'm literally writing every single article on my phone every day, two articles a day, about 300, 400 words was a, a blog but you know hey still writing all that on on a phone that's a lot well you were dedicated to the craft you wanted to be better and you did it by any means necessary and i think that's something look i don't want us to gloss over that when you think about the early kind of smartphone technology and utilizing that as a basically a computer in your hands that you could basically do whatever you want to do with that and this challenge in front of you you didn't have all the necessary tools but you still did it like there was something about that you felt like you had a voice in this thing and you by any means necessary, no? Right, right. Had to do what I had to do and started that in 2008, summer 2008. And going into 2009, I was like, look, I'm going to do as much as I can, as best as I can and see where it takes me. Well, by the end of that year, I ran into someone that plenty of people know from 106 and Park that would be free from 106 and okay. Park. So she actually saw my writing, was retweeting some of my stuff on Twitter. It was like, hey, you know, I'm going to a Boston game. Hey, uh, can you break down the game or whatever? And, you know, I got pictures, you have writing. So I wrote the article. She put her pictures with it. We connected and I actually wrote for her for uh, her website, Freeze World at that time for it had to be like a year and change, if not a little more. So that's the power of the Internet, man. That's dope. That's yeah. dope. And after that, what happened? Let's see. Went on to, let's see, do a few other different things. Uh Kept my own uh, sports awakening, which, I mean, I did that for, I've done that for a long time. And of course, I'm in a, kind of in a, a construction phase on the next step of things to do there. Um, mm -hmm. Also written for uh, Pro Player Insiders, which allowed me to cover two Super Bowls, which is 
Minneapolis and Atlanta. I actually wrote for I wrote for the Tennessee Tribune here in Nashville, which is a historic historic black paper here. And of course, the Nashville Voice, among many other different places where I've written, along with started a, a, a little bit of short story and, and writing things like that on the side. Well, it's apparent that you're trying to get the quill game heavy. I respect that. I like to write. And I guess you had a passion for it. But what made you say, okay, how do I transition this from the pen to in front of the screen and producing and writing? to let my voice be heard in a different fashion when you started touring the AFC South. What was the inspiration behind it? Honestly, uh, I actually started uh, just doing broadcast on an app. There's an app called the HAPS app. It's like a kind of experimental kind of a little different thing right now. I started talking about Tennessee Titans games and breaking down the matchups they were having on on Sundays. So I just Mm -hmm. would go in there and I'd have a before and talk about things they could do to win the game, things that the other team could do to dominate them. Then after the game, going back, revisiting those points. So I did that for a little bit. And people had been encouraging me like, hey, you need to do this on a, on a podcast or something. You know, and mm-hmm. I kind of I, I played around with a podcast trying to start one two or three different times, just <laughs> never stuck with it. And I was like, ah, this just isn't for me. So mm-hmm. I kept going, kept going and, you know, kept doing that. And I, I would I wouldn't miss it every Sunday. So eventually I was like, uh. Eh, Maybe I ought to do that. And then I looked at it and I looked around and no one was actually doing anything on the AFC South. So I'm like, well, I live here. I see most of the games of all the teams here. So I may as well start telling people about them and break it down and bring guests on and things like that. And it started off with just me talking and occasionally bringing in guests. But I don't know what happened. But right around August, guests started coming in and then another guest, another guest. I started looking at my book of people I knew and I was like, well, Maybe I could do this every week. So right. I kept going and going and going, and now it's to where it is. And, of course, got the appearance on uh, Brother from, from Another with Michael Holly and Michael Smith. And it, it's starting to kind of all come to fruition, what I put into it. And the funny thing is just I never really thought I could do this, but I guess I kept pushing myself and people kept pushing me. And it is what it is now. Listen, you, you generalize it, but let's keep it funky. Let's keep it a buck, Mike. <laughs> it's 2022. Mother's Day is coming up really soon. You're wearing the Black Women Matter shirt. Obviously, no doubt, they always will. Your first teacher, as I, I spoke about this earlier in the podcast, my first teacher was my mother. She's all of our first teachers. She is the everything. She's the alpha and the omega to everything we were doing as kids before we could do anything and form a thought on our own. All we can see is that goddess in front of us. And you have goddesses in your home that you have to nurture and take care of as well as they nurture you and give you the strength and energy and even the challenges to do the things you're doing right now. You talk about your wife. You know, you have a young daughter who's in the sports. Like, what is that like? And what do you think from your perspective and your role as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a confidant, as an advocate and critic that you have to be sometimes in those relationships? How do you protect your queens in your home? Honestly, uh, you know, they, they, they definitely let me know. <laughs> my daughter, <laughs> as far as my, my daughter, <laughs> she definitely is very vocal. She's definitely mm. going to uh, tell me, you know, when she's not feeling something or when something's not wrong. I do challenge her. I do, you know, want her to do her best. And, and But I also want to be there to hear her. And she does tell me when I'm being mean, of course, that mm. I can 
when that will happen. But I also make sure to cheer her on, even when it may not be, you know, it may not seem like she's, you know, getting the the do she deserves. I'm going to make sure I'm going to be her number one cheerleader, whether it's gymnastics or flag football or anything, just being there to support her and let her know and say things over her like, you can do anything you want. You can be who you want to be. Like literally every day before I drop her off to school, because I, I take her to school every morning. Um, no. Every day I, before that, I, I tell her, hey, you're going to be do great and wonderful things. I need you to believe that. And I tell her that every single morning before I drop her off to school. And as far as my wife, she's just there to believe in me. And, you know, of course, I, I try to do my best to support her and do the things that, uh, you know, keep a smile on her face as well right. as just to, you know, be there to support her in things that she does and let her know that I'm there and I hear her and that she's important as well. So no, that's dope, man. And you know, I had the occasion to meet you in person down there in Nashville and and meet your wife uh briefly when I got some food one night. And uh lovely woman, lovely person. That I met your daughter too, didn't I? We went somewhere. I, I, I think you did. I We're think in the you park. did. I think we did. We we went somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember where we went. Met your daughter as well. She's lovely as well. And, and you know, I talked about my mother and and how integral to your life and how you interact with women, in particular your wife and your daughter. Was your mother in in that process for you and learning? Because we have to learn stuff. You know, we were conditioned a certain way as young black men to look at the situation in one way and not really regard our women in the same way we might do today and be be more sensitive and aware of how we interact with them. But would you say your mother was like kind of the, the ground zero for everything and learning all this stuff? I wouldn't say she was necessarily ground zero, but my um, my family was on, on both sides because there's a lot of women on both sides of my family, especially on mm. my mom's side of the family. So I learned, watched, kept up with the different things, took, you know, mental notes on those different things, as well as my mom kind of taught me someone that is just giving. She doesn't, you know, she just, she, she basically, she tells people that, you know, I would give the shirt off my back to anybody, but I didn't get mm. that from just being me. I got that from watching her, watching other people around me and watch people in my family and, you know, majority um, going women that were going hard for, you know, anybody. So I kind of learned those different things, not only from my mom, but from my family as well, uh, my mom's side and my dad's side. That's dope. And they clearly support you or you wouldn't be able to do the things you're doing. And I love that you support them and all that they're doing. And we're going to continue to support one another because steel sharpens steel here on the open run. More on the other side of this, my man, Mike Patton, right after this. Now listening to the sounds of the open run where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with my brother, Mike Patton, El General, the general down there in Nashville. You, you don't have any flipping it on you, right? But you always support. <laughs> right. Like we, we talked about steel sharpening steel all the time. Like it sounds like a catchphrase, but the reality is, especially when in social media, people who have friends who are trying to create and do things in whatever it is they're doing, in your particular 
field of choice and the discipline you want to go into with journalism and, and building your own platform and your own voice, people will follow a celebrity that doesn't care anything about them before they support their own, their friends, their, people they claim that are their friends. I don't like that part of it. I think I said something about that on one of your posts recently. That I'm like, Definitely. yo, <laughs> support your peoples. You don't have to, you don't have to listen to every episode. You don't sometimes it's just about the algorithm. People are about their algorithm. Cool. Push a like. What does that cost you? Some time and effort? Not that much time, not that much effort. So what's the problem? And every once in a while, listen, be a part of what they're doing. But I just I notice how people move. I'm not a fan of that. And so I would not sit here and be like, yeah, Mike, I listen to all the shows every week. I know people don't listen to my show every week. I was proud of you when you got the opportunity. And I don't know. You want to talk about how that came about? Because you were doing your thing. And that's what you said, like the effort. You keep putting in the effort, the work, working on your craft. Somehow you're on, and this is Peacock Network. So basically NBC, Michael Holly and Michael Smith, Michael Smith, late of ESPN. And they wanted you and they talked about you as an expert. Which is dope to me. Like, I watched the episode. I, as soon as I saw the video, like, I hit you up. Remember, I hit you up immediately. I'm like, yo. Right. <laughs> I, look, I applaud people. Do your thing. I want to see you win. I'm about seeing people win. So how did that all come about as they get ready for the NFL draft this year? They wanted you to come on and talk about the AFC South. Honestly, I have to say it happened because of the support and, and the people that actually watch my, my podcast and watch and listen to it. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's it's a story that probably, you know, I, I don't know, I've told to a couple of different people, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for one particular follower. He actually went on Twitter and basically tagged the show, Brother from Another, and me and then Michael Holly and Michael Smith and said, hey, you need to have him on the show, touring the AFC South podcast, support black journalists. And I'm like, oh, I saw this. And I'm like, oh, okay. He, he really going hard for me on, on, on Twitter, on social media. And I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't expect anything to come from it. I, I'm thinking, uh, you know, they, they're probably, you know, we got millions of people that do this or whatever. Right. So I look back a, a little bit later and Michael Smith responds and he says, say less. And I'm like, wow, this really just happened? So I guess I need to respond. <laughs> okay, so I got in there right. and I said, uh, I said, hey, just say when and where and I'm there. And of course, next thing you know, I get a message from the show asking me about coming on the show. And I'm like, wow, this is really happening. <laughs> so we set up the time. And just from there, that's when the, the um, appearance on the show happened. I mean, it was beautiful. This just happened, what, last week, if I'm not mistaken? Tuesday. Right. Last so it's right before the draft, right? Yes, sir. And then want to get your perspectives. And of course, you ran down some things. If you guys have an opportunity to check that out. I'm going to give you some information toward the end of the podcast to let you know where you can find Mike and what he did there on the show. But, like, that's a great look. Like, I was like, I see my guy, right? I see him doing his thing. From an aspirational standpoint, is that something you'd like to do from a national network? Or do you want to stay there and, like, creating resonance just from being here in Nashville? What is your goal with all of this that you're doing? It's not just up here one time, but what are the next steps for you? Honestly, when I first started this, I was telling a friend of mine, I don't know what I have planned for this. I don't, I, I've started this for a reason, but I can't explain to you what the reason is. It's just something is telling me. <laughs> so literally, right. that's how I started it. So from there, I'm like, OK, cool. Maybe, you know, people can look at me as the four, you know, the, the, the expert that's going to give you all the shows and all, all the teams in one place. And, you know, potentially be the expert that, you know, can go on this show or that show, but still own my own thing. Right. Uh, or, 
or be like uh go to a network but still own my own property you know mm. that that would be more of the goal for the show in my opinion well that's dope man i know you're going to do that we speak in in, in positives we speak in aspirations and then turning those aspirations into activations so you'll do it and what's also doing right now the nba playoffs now being there in nashville i'm sure you get some of that memphis flavor up there people are supporting the grizzlies down there but before we get into that let's talk about the series before like in the east we knew that the raptors were not going to be able to beat the 76ers, even though it was close and it was a problem because Glenn Rivers has blown a couple 3-1 leads in his life. So it's bound to happen. But the biggest blow to them was Joel Hans and B getting injured and having to sit out the first two games of that series against Miami. What do you think about that and how that series is going to go between Miami, who defeated the Atlanta Hawks last year's Eastern Conference finalist, and the Philadelphia 76ers, now with James Edward Harden Jr. at the head of the table? Oh, boy. They, they couldn't pick a worse time to get an injury. Uh, honestly, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure out why Joel and B was even in the game when they're up 20 points in the fourth quarter, and they have it at hand. And then 29 the points. Part, 29. 29 <laughs> points. With five minutes left. Nobody's going to come be, back from that. No, no. You <laughs> must be super insecure about your team because you have no depth. But you kept the presumptive MVP in the game that long. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I, I I didn't understand it. I was like, what is going on? What happened? And then you get him injured. And then he tries to talk to the media about it and tries to explain it away. And I'm like, Doc, just stop it. I'm sorry, go ahead. Just stop it, ahead. Just stop it sir. Stop it. Just, <laughs> this ain't the time. Just be quiet. Listen. Take it all in and walk away. But no, now, you had to say something. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. But in the event that the second round champions as the Philadelphia 76ers have been the past couple of seasons, they always go out in the second round. If they go in the second round this year, even though, especially with the gap that Doc Rip, I'm sorry, Glenn Rivers made um, <laughs> by keeping Joel Embiid the game, is this a referendum on Glenn Rivers and does Jay Wright get an opportunity to stay there in Philadelphia and come on as a new head coach there? Ooh, that's spicy right there. Just put that out there. <laughs> just, I'm just putting out there. Like, you know, you get your franchise player hurt. Because, I mean, he couldn't prevent the injury. You know, anything could happen before that. But the fact that he was still in the game that late, you're always going to – we can talk about what could have happened. We know what did happen. And so is that a problem for Glenn Rivers? If they fall and fade now, does he get the boot? I honestly think that if they lose this next series, he could get the boot. And I think another guy – I have another guy in mind, actually, not, not Jay Wright. And you know what guy I'm thinking about. Look at the synergy Ooh. here. Look at the synergy here. You've got look at who the who's running the organization up top. Okay, who, who's on Brand. Court. Oh, no, not Elton Brand, the other guy. Oh, Daryl Morey. No, not Antonio. Yeah. No, he's not gonna. <laughs> he's, he's gonna get. He's gonna cater to MB. He's not gonna cater to James Harden that late in his career. I can't see that happening. <laughs> I can't. I'm dead serious. I, I if it does, if it does, if it does, they have no designs on winning anything in Philadelphia. Did but, they have any designs earlier? <laughs> with Philadelphia facing Miami, Miami has Kyle Lowry, who's out at least the first game, hamstring issues, old point guards and hamstrings. Shout out to Chris Paul. <laughs> you never know, but they're also, he's a champion. But they have championship DNA already down there in Miami, at least experience from those guys. I just can't see how Philadelphia with a short bench and now even shortened by losing 30 points a night and 15 rebounds 
and multiple trips to the free throw line, uh, they're going to be able to compete against one of the best defensive teams in the league. I don't see it. I don't see it either. Honestly, I was uh, I was trying to throw you off a little bit by talking about Philly a little more, but yeah, I don't see it. I see Miami uh, acting acting up on them, and honestly, I see Jimmy Butler having a big series, especially guarding or taking on James Harden because James Harden. I'm sorry, but this is your worst nightmare. No, he's gonna he's gonna see a lot of the artist, Tucker too. The artist formerly known as Anthony Leon Tucker Jr. He will see PJ. <laughs> he's gonna see bodies like Bam in front of Bam Adebayo can guard one through five. That flexibility and that versatility on that front line helps him immensely. On the note that they also have shooters, they definitely have shooters on that squad. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. And guys, they can both really more than just be the shooter, though. Max Struess, I almost forgot about him. But they have Tyler Hero, easily going to be the sixth man of the year this year, Right, can create off the dribble and create for other people as well as himself. And I think the difference in a lot of these playoff series is having multiple players who can create off the bounce for themselves and others is going to make the difference in winning and losing these these uh, series. Philadelphia has Tyrese Maxey, James Harden. Name somebody else. If somebody, if you say Shake Milton, get off the screen, Mike. I mean, Matthew, get <laughs> off the screen. The only guy I was going to say that may even do something, but he's too inconsistent with it, is Tobias Harris. That's but it. he's not a guy who creates for other people like that, right? Right. Well, he's he's yeah, not he that does. guy with the handle, and like he's not going to do that. And I think he he's going to be key to this series, especially without MB for the first two games. People are like, well, couldn't he wear a mask? No, he can't fly with an orbital fracture, dude. Air pressure in the cabin can't fly like that. So he's going to miss the first two games, and we don't know what he's going to do in game three and game four, but they go down 0-2 in the words of that immortal Negro poet, Michael Ray Richardson, ship be sinking. That's a done deal in <laughs> Philadelphia, my guy. So you see Miami going on. This past weekend, Milwaukee faced off against the Boston Celtics, arguably the best defense in the league, against the reigning and defending NBA champions. And then Milwaukee, as I said in the promo for the show, Went to Boston and Boston, Boston. I'm not talking about playing spades. If anyone knows what a Boston <laughs> is in spades, we're not talking about that. We are talking about the fact that they play better defense in Boston. They stopped everything that Boston wanted to do. They made them shoot a ridiculous amount of three-pointers because they couldn't get anything in the paint. Bobby Portis is 6'10". Giannis is 6'12". He's not going to say he's a seven-footer. <laughs> and Splash Mountain, Brooke Lopez, is seven foot two. They didn't score any points in the lane. That's going to be a problem for Boston. They didn't score 90 points in this game. They lost 101 to 89. And they had all their team in tow. And the Bucs were missing James Christian Milton. Chris Milton was out of the series. He's probably going to be out of this whole series. Did they feel any pressure at all because they went into Boston and did what they did in the opening game? Oh, boy. You mean it's Boston or just uh, Milwaukee? Milwaukee, had, uh, Milwaukee felt like this is our house. This my sandwich. I'm going to get the big piece of chicken. I'm going to sit in the big chair. That's what they did, basically. They walked to Boston and yeah. did exactly that, no? Basically. Basically. And the thing that's crazy about it is you look at the previous series and just based off the previous series that Boston had, everyone was thinking, oh, they're going to dominate them. But they forgot that the Nets don't play great defense. Milwaukee does. And also, yes, they do. And also another thing they forgot, offensively, Milwaukee moves the basketball. The Nets don't. Two well, differences, two key differences, and this behind whooping that happened. That happened. <laughs> hey, look, you are 100% correct, sir. And I think with Milwaukee, you see that they have shooters. 
I had a question of whether they'd be good enough defensively without P.J. Tucker in the corner making those threes. But Grayson Allen, young Ted Cruz, as I like to call him, is filling in. Pat Connaughton back from the hand injury. Quality six man. I mean, you're looking at that team. You got Drew Holiday, who is easily one of the best two-way players in the league. Giannis has hit Neo in the matrix mode. He has. Watching game one, you used to be able to stop Giannis with a wall. You can't do that anymore. You used to be able to say, okay, we're going to double him and make him throw turnovers. The dude had a triple-double. He had 12 assists because he was a willing passer. And when he stepped into that mode, he could play like that and still give you 30 and 15 off the off the glass. There's nothing you can do. And I, I can't see what kind of adjustments that Boston will make because they're too small up front. It's going to be tough. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did not have great games. And they need those guys to produce because after them, who's going to create? Al Horford? Marcus Smart? Love Marcus Smart. Tough guy. But he's not going to create for everyone else. He's not going to be able to create for himself in a way that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can. So even Udoka has a big task ahead of him down 0-1 already in the second round of the series. If they lose the first two in Boston, they might get swept out of here too. Yeah, they definitely might. The thing I will also look at is, yeah, Peyton Pritchard ain't creating for anybody either. That team right he, there. He's, he's had, he must have paid you to say his name on this podcast. <laughs> he was not in the scouting report at all. Well, he was in the scouting <laughs> report for for the Nets because he was lighting them up. But uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. as far as, uh, you know, that the Boston Celtics, I mean, I, I expect it a little better. But, you know, just, nah. Now, I, I don't yeah. know if they got anything for him. The Time Lord, he might be late. You know, he might be. Yeah, I mean, clearly, but they're just not big enough. And unless they figure right. out how to spread Milwaukee out and keep them off the glass, it's going to be a short series. They don't have. Uh, out, they don't have one guy. They don't have one guy that can actually take him and not have them not have to help off. Who, which, who can guard? Who can guard Giannis? Let's let's be honest. Who in the league can guard Giannis one on one straight up? I can't say anyone can, but I, I I'll I'll hedge my bet on one guy trying. Okay, well, I'm, it's going. Well, Bam can guard him, but even still, like, you have to understand, now that he knows and he shoulders are broad, he's big, he'll run into you and make you pay, and now he's making free throws. Before, he couldn't make free throws. Yeah, and that's true. In game six of the finals last year, he proved, showed and proved when it counted the most and put up that 50-burger. So it's going to be tough for the Celtics, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. I'm not going to count them out, but I'm t- telling you, if they go down 0-2, much like Philadelphia going down 0-2, you're going to see – Milwaukee and Miami, and there's some interesting history there, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's move out west and talk about the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, hey, they had a harder time than most people thought with New Orleans. New Orleans came to play. They were talking about, you want the smoke? They came for all the smoke. And Brandon Ingram and Christian James McCollum and Jose Alvarado and Herb Jones and that badass man, Willie Green, on the bench. Had them believing. Let me not leave out Jonas Valanciunas, Jonas Christ superstar. They have a, a quality young core down there. But right now, Memphis, Golden State, everyone wants to see that. There are a lot of parallels between Memphis now and Golden State back in like 2013, 2014, before their ascent into dynasty mode and going to championships. And who was the team that was in front of them that was stopping them back then? The Memphis Grizzlies. The Mike Conley... Um, Marcus Saul, Tony Allen, first team Tony all Allen. defense, Tony Allen, you know, <laughs> that's who they were. What do you think about their chances against Golden State in this experience? 
I'll say this. I like their chances, but a couple things have to happen. Desmond Bain has to show up and be and be the Clay Thompson in this one. And wow. Jaron Jackson Jr. has to stay out of foul trouble, which he has not been able to do the entire one, season. Game one, they lost by one point against Golden State in the, in the opener of the second round. And Jaron Jackson played, what, 31 minutes? He scored 33 points and had 10 rebounds. He stayed out of foul trouble. He is the key to everything they need to do. A couple of things go one way or the other. They win this game. But Jaron Jackson Jr. has to stay on the court. Of course, Draymond got right. ejected for a flagrant foul <laughs> earlier. Yes. Did you think that was a flagrant two? I didn't think it was a flagrant two, but, you know, it, with with today's rules, it was a flagrant two. But Look, you know, he smacked I, the dude in the head. Then he pulled his jersey <laughs> and pulled him to the floor. That's a dangerous play, Ben. That's a dangerous play. It was a dangerous play. play. It, it was. I give it that. But do I, do I think do I think he should have been thrown out of the game? Nah. Let him play. It's a different time. But I talk about young stars, and I want to talk about Jalen Brunson in Dallas. We talk football. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's about to go all Jerry Maguire and, and Rod Tidwell on Mark Cuban in a minute, right? Show Indeed. me the money. <laughs> but the same thing is going to happen in Golden State. The leading scorer off the bench, the Golden State Warriors, was Jordan Poole. 31 points, go blue all day, every day, University of Michigan, greatest university in the world. You know, I didn't go there. But Jordan Poole showed up, showed out, 31 points off the bench. They have a problem. They, I'm sorry, Memphis might have PTSD too. That's Poole, Thompson, Steph, and Draymond. I guess that's a new nickname out there. But Jordan Poole is the truth. It's going to be a problem. you got shooters all around the court. But what are some of the adjustments they can make in game two to make sure they don't lose two games on their home floor. Well, one thing is Ja Morant has to accept the responsibility of being better defensively because they're mm. going at him the entire game. Minnesota started it in the last series, and now Golden State is continuing it in this series. He has to be better defensively and accept the challenge to step up there. If he does that, then their defense is actually better because looking at game one, he was letting – it was just like he just was, wasn't defending with a lot of veracity and energy. And, mm. you know, he basically was escorting people down the lane like he was going to take on the front. <laughs> you know, that, that's literally what I saw. Right. But so he it, definitely has to get that effort. Right. It just If he doesn't get that, then, I mean, of course, it breaks down your entire defense and you got guys with open shots like Golden State had today. So it starts with him and it starts with other guys actually – being more effective in their roles, i.e. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks, I love his energy, but my guy, I don't need you shooting rainbow threes in the corner all game and driving and throwing up. No, no, no. Those shots are for John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Bane. And then you get your shots off of that. Not you, you shooting know what's hard? 15, 20 times. See, that's the hard thing about that, though, is last year when everybody was injured, and Dylan Brooks was basically the engine that could for Memphis. He feels like I could still be that guy. So his, his place in the pecking order, that could be problematic for a young team too. And it might rear his head maybe in the game three or game four. You talk about it now and how many shots he's taking and the quality of shots he's taking. That could be a problem later on. How do you how do you diffuse that before it starts? That's a good question. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a question Taylor Jenkins is gonna, definitely going to have to answer and figure out because, you know, if it continues to go, I mean, he shoots some shots when guys are open. 
And I'm like, <laughs> my guy, you got you got somebody open over there. You don't have to force this rainbow shot. I get it. You want to shoot the basketball. But I think Taylor Jenkins has to go to him and say, hey, I need you to be this guy on defense on this guy. That's what I need you to do. Like, for example, I think he was guarding Steph Curry a few times, too. Mm. We need you to expend your energy on that end of the court. We got the offensive side. We need you to do this. And that's what I'm saying. That's going to be the hard part because he saw himself as, like, emerging as a player, and then you get Desmond Bain stepping up above him. And let's be clear about the most improved player of the year award that John Morant got that he gave to his teammate. And people say, oh, that's a kind gesture. Yeah, on one lens there is, but really it's more of an F you to the NBA to tell you the truth. That's how I saw it because right away I left it on your kitchen table, my guy, because here's a guy who was a top five MVP candidate all year, which is disrespectful to give that guy the most improved player if he's an MVP candidate. That's why I think Ja looked at it like this is disrespectful. Desmond Bain wasn't like a guy people go, we need to get him on our squad. He made an improvement. DeJounte Murray, same thing. Darius Garland, right, should have been in that mix, and he was. But the fact they gave it to Ja, even though he was a top five candidate for MVP this year, I think he felt that way about it too. That's why he gave the award away. And I talked about this before. I'm not Taylor Jenkins, and I don't know any other white people with the last name Jenkins. Do you? (laughs) So who is Master Jenkins? I'm dead serious. Like, I've never seen any white people with the last name Jenkins. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, that's the mystery that keeps on giving to the podcast. And before we go, I want you to do this for me as we're talking about the Memphis Grizzlies, because they did start at Vancouver. Right. If you had to name your all time Memphis Grizzlies starting five by position, who would it be and why? Ooh, ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Let's see. You know, I could say the immortal Michael Dickerson, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm just joking. Did he did he play but, in Memphis uh, or did he play in Vancouver? You don't have to count the Vancouver franchise. I want strictly Memphis, okay, straight you. Beale Street now, all day every day. Now you know you got to put Pau Gasol on that on that team. He's got to be on there. So okay, so Pau um, is what position though? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, he's got to be he center, center or power Zach forward. Randall, he's got to be center because Zach Randolph's got to be the power forward over Marcus Hall, who had more success there than his brother. Ooh. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm just saying, man. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Mark or Powell? I'm gonna go Mark. I'm gonna go Mark. I'm gonna go. Mark. Okay. And then I, I'll throw okay. uh, I'll throw Zach Randolph as the power forward. Mm-hmm. All right. You gotta you gotta Bibby, but Bibby got traded to Sacramento, so I can't say. Yeah, he, I think he came to Memphis. I don't think he played Memphis. He uh he played. I think he played in Memphis. I, I can't remember, but I'll say let me go Michael Conley. Junior as the point guard. Mike Conley as the point over Demetrius DeBell Morant. I mean, you got to think he's uh, Conley has been there. Conley was there for a bunch of years and did a bunch a of things. You're a blasphemer. Ja hasn't. Ja's been there like what two, three years. I mean, he hasn't been there long enough yet. Okay, you're going with you're going with Mike Conley. So Mike Conley's at the point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know everybody living in Memphis is gonna blast me on that one. But hey, you better it believe it. You better believe it. <laughs> who's it? Who's the two? I'm trying to think who's played the two there because really they haven't had like the fantastical twos there. Other they than yeah, I mean Tony Allen, maybe? 
Tony, yeah. Rudy, 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 Rudy Gay was a small Rudy, forward, though. Rudy Carlton Gay was a, the small forward for sure. Yeah. But yeah, he was a small forward. But uh, I don't know. You might have to put the grandfather at, at shooting guard, even though he really can't shoot. But, you know, you play defense. First team all defense. About to be first team all prison defense. They stole a lot of money, man. I mean, Keon mm-hmm. Dooling got it now, you know. So, you know, it's, it's looking bad. But oh, Tony Allen at your two. Yeah, I'm going to get Tony Allen at my two. I'm trying to think small forward. I mean, besides Rudy Gay, who we got there? Small Your forward. man Dylan Brooks or the finesse king who barely played any games, Chandler Parsons. <laughs> oh, man. He finessed all that money out of them. Man, he wore that ski mask proudly. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll go with Rudy Gay. I'll go with Rudy Gay then. Okay. I'll if you had a him. chance to play – one-on-one against any player in the history of the game, who would it be and why? Well, I mean, I probably couldn't be able to beat any of them, but, you know, can I name somebody I can beat or potentially potentially beat? No, no, that, that's I, not going to happen. But, no, just so, <laughs> for the experience, for the experience, look, we just talked about this in, in, you know, on Facebook not too long ago. Like, the worst dude in the NBA could cook your boots. The that's worst true. dude. That's true. That's all they do all day is play basketball. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm coming from the job of the factory. Let me go beat T.J. McConnell. No, dog, that's not going to happen, yo. <laughs> not going to happen. So let that yeah. go. But who, uh, if you had a, a chance against anybody, it's a fancy thing. Like, who would you want to play and why? Well, I'd like to play Scotty Pippen. Word. Scotty. Okay. Yeah. Young Scotty, his son at Vanderbilt. Okay. I shout out to yeah. Vanderbilt. Shout out to Jerry Stackhouse, too. But, you got but a nice recruiting class coming in next year, too, by the way. No doubt, no doubt. He, hey, he's building something down there, man. Just like you're building something. We're touring the AFC South, so you know why would you want to play Scotty Maurice Pippen? Ah, uh, see, as far as Scotty, I don't know. I'd like to see what his, uh, you know, I, I I liked watching his game. I'd like to see, you know, the angles he can actually, you know, hit the uh, the bank shots, man, because he hit some weird bank shots over his career. So I, I'd love to watch that and see that, and you know, I guess have that experience. But of course, you know, I'd like to hit a basket on him and tell him Michael was better and see what he says. All right. Are you left-handed? Are you? Are you? You're, you're left-handed, right? I'm left-handed. Okay, because this is a picture of you holding a basketball. I'm like, he's probably gonna block every one of your shots. I'm not mad at that. So you want you want to see what Scottie Pippen could do against you? Man, I think we should play next time. I come down to Nastyville, Cashville. We should go out on the court, but we're not gonna play one-on-one. We'll probably play like horse, cat, <laughs> something like that. You know, because shooters shoot. And my man Mike Patton. Always shooting his shot to make sure he can grow his career. Let them know where they can find you, man. Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MikePatton82 and on Instagram at the underscore general underscore MP. I, I often post clips of the visual parts of my show so people can kind of, you know, get a laugh or get a, a story out of it. Uh, most recently, I had a joke about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was saying, what's three things that, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars – Krispy Kreme donuts and Dunkin' Donuts have in common. Mm. Of course, one of my guests yells out, "They're soft and sweet." I'm like, "Oh my god, no, no, that's not." What I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I did say was, uh, basically, they're all got an outer side to them, and they're all empty in the middle. Which the Jacksonville Jaguars don't have any, don't have anybody in the trenches on their team. Listen, uh, Shawn, what's what's his name? Shawn that yeah. owns the team. He ain't inviting you down to Duval no time soon. But we'd love to have you back on again. Appreciate your time and consideration, Mike. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. And I want to thank my man, Miguel Elginal, Mike Patton, doing great things, young cat, taking care of his family, taking care of his business. I love to see people grow. I, I love to see them flourish in the thing they want to do with their lives. And I want to see him succeed. I'm all for it. So continued success, Mike. And that said, it's now on to the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Don't know what's going to happen. It's a lot of turmoil in Utah right now. But Utah Jazz assistant and former vice president at the National Basketball Players Association, Keon Dooling, who is actually the head of the health and wellness benefit plan there. Guess he was the inside man. Let all this cronies know, hey, we can gas the system. He was arrested recently for fraud. It's one of the other 18 that were indicted for fraud, utilizing and abusing the health and welfare benefit plan of the MBPA. And it's sad to note, like you made millions of dollars playing this game and greed will get you nowhere, I guess. So I don't know what's going to happen to Keon Dooling, who battled with mental health issues because of being sexually abused as a young man. There's a great article about him being so forthright and so forthcoming about it. And then to turn around and do this, I don't get it. But, you know. No one knows where the nose goes when the doors close. On better news, shouts out to my man, Earl Joseph Smith III, a.k.a. J.R. Smith, J.R. Swish, the Academic Athlete of the Year at North Carolina A&T, where he achieved the 4.0 average, a perfect mark the entire year, in his late 30s. Shouts out to J.R. for creating options in his life, much like we were talking about with Mike, to do the things you want to do, when you want to do them, how you want to do them. He wanted to go back to school, wanted to get better, wanted to learn. And he fully immersed himself in the experience of being a student. Not mad at him. Congratulations, JR. As the coaching carousel spins round and round, round we go. Golden State Warriors assistant Mike Brown, former Orlando Magic and Charlotte Hornet head coach Steve Clifford. And with all due respect, ABC ESPN broadcaster Mark Jackson have all been tapped as potential candidates for the Sacramento Kings job in the NBA. People say, oh, that's a trash job. There are 30 of them. They make millions of dollars. How's that trash? It's a hard gig to get. But I believe the other two have a better chance than Mark Jackson for myriad reasons. But I think that Mark Jackson is better served by utilizing all this attention. Every year he gets called out to be the head coach. You know, the Lakers, or he who shan't be named, would be enthused by that possibility with Mark Jackson. Or what's going on with the Kings? To utilize that as leverage in his negotiations with Disney for ABC, ESPN jobs. He's safer and better off there sitting next to Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy. Trust me, but I'm not his advisor, so you never know. Best of luck to all those men in their quest to become the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Speaking of Kings, there's a time when two players by the name of Jack Twyman and Maurice Stokes, who is the prototype for the power forward in the NBA, played for a team called the Cincinnati Royals that eventually became the Sacramento Kings. On March 12, 1958, the last game of the 57-58 regular season, Maurice Stokes was knocked unconscious as he drove to the basket, drew contact, and struck his head as he fell to the court. He was revived by smelling salts and returned to the game, but three days later, after recording 12 points and 15 rebounds in an opening round playoff game against the Pistons, he became ill on a team's flight back to Cincinnati. He later suffered a seizure and was left permanently paralyzed as a result of that head bump. He was diagnosed with post-traumatic encephalopathy. During the years that followed, he would be supported and cared for by his lifelong friend and teammate, Jack Twyman, who became Stokes' legal guardian. They had all kinds of charities, celebrity games and stuff to raise funds. This was not the NBA of today with nine and ten figure contracts. Guys had summer jobs. He died in 1970 when he went to a post-injury coma. 
at the age of 36. Jack Twyman was a white man, Maurice Stokes a black man. The reason I say that, though it shouldn't matter, that it does still matter in the world in which we inhabit. Jack Twyman took it upon himself as a man, as a human being, as somebody who cared to take care of his teammate, his friend, for the rest of his life. And for that, they've named the Teammate of the Year Award after these two teammates. And for the second time in three years, Drew Randall Holiday of the Milwaukee Bucks has won this award. If you recall, back in the bubble, he donated the rest of his salary. It was closer to like six, seven and a half million. But still, he donated to small black businesses who were suffering during the pandemic. Drew Holiday, take a bow, my guy. You're a true teammate. And while we're discussing the greatness of Drew Holiday and his consistency as a man and as a human being, let's talk about the greatness that was the first round participants who lost in this year's playoffs. The Denver Nuggets. Will Mike Malone get an opportunity to run it back again with a full complement of players when Jamal Murray comes back, when Michael Porter Jr. comes back? I hope so. Will Nikola Jermaine Jokic win the MVP? More than likely. We'll find out soon. Minnesota. Pat Bev and Cat. Hey, look, I can't knock everything that Pat Bev did. I'm not a fan of Patrick Beverly, but his influence on that team was very good. Got them to the playoffs. Got them in a different mind state, different attitude, and the results spoke for themselves. Except for when it counted the most of the playoffs. How many times did Pat Beverly do the John Morant's too small, and then they went on a crazy run? The Minnesota Timberwolves gave up three double-digit leads going into the fourth quarter. The only team that's ever done that. Can't blame Pat Bev for it, but I, I like Carl Anthony Towns. He's a talented guy, but some things aren't you. It doesn't feel like your personality, the way you're trying to show yourself. And I, go, I guess you're trying to, you know, big man, show some personality, get some endorsement deals. Cool. I think he does a Jack Lance beef jerky thing. Huh. Last time I saw that, but whatever the case might be. I don't know. You know, Carl Anthony Towns is an all-NBA performer. Anthony Edwards is the best player on that team, bar none. He is necessary. Carl Anthony Towns has had, what, seven years to do what he's supposed to do? The results have been mixed so far. That might end up being a problem because they have to figure out what they want to do with D'Angelo Russell. Is he going to stay there? Is he trade fodder? Is he the new point guard in the trade for De'Aaron Fox to Sacramento? I've been talking about a lot of Sacramento Kings stuff today. At any rate, shout out to my man Joe B, Joe Branch over there in the Minnesota Timberwolves front office. Hopefully have him on the podcast very, very soon. In Utah, this is funny. There are reports that Rudy Gobert is making demands is either him or me that has to go, and the him is Donovan Mitchell. Their beef, while they try to keep it under wraps, we knew it was there. I don't know why they tried to pump fake on it, but it is what it is. The fact that Rudy Gobert is trying to make these demands is funny to me. I think I posted a tweet about Rudy and his demands, knowing full well that he tried to get in front of it before as a preemptive strike instead of letting Dwayne Wade and Ryan Smith and trader Danny Gange trade him anyway. Where he goes... He's going to go. I think they're going to build around Spider, even though Spider's productivity, I don't know. Is he that guy? Is he the lead guy on any top team in the NBA? It's not a destination city, Salt Lake. It's not for free agents. Can Spider's personality, can his game bring some guys there? Can the new management with D. Wade and Ryan Smith, younger, cooler, hipper management, bring people to the great Salt Lake, the B State? Will Quinn Snyder be there? I don't know. He's going to have prospects, no doubt including the Lakers in any other open position with a winning franchise or a franchise that looks like it has an opportunity to win right away, Quinn is going to get his cheddar. Believe that. And shouts out to my man, Rudy Carlton Gay. Is he the new Eric Snow? This is disrespectful to Eric Snow. At least Eric Snow was on teams that won playoff series. At least Eric Snow made it to the NBA Finals three times 
And every time he's on the roster, they lost. In 96, the Bulls and the Sonics, backup point guard, Eric Snow. In 2001, starting point guard next to Alan Azale Iverson, Eric Snow. In 2007, the Cleveland Cavaliers got swept by the San Antonio Spurs. Who was the starting point guard for Cleveland? Oh, that's Eric Snow. Shouts out to Howard the Don. Some might get that. Rudy Gay has played 15 years in the NBA. Never once played on a team that won a playoff series. I don't know if he's going to land anywhere else next year, but I feel bad for Rudy. He really is a nice guy. He was also up for the Teammate of the Year Award this year. So, shouts out to Rudy. Onward and upward, since we discussed Golden State and Memphis with Mike, go talk a little Dallas and Phoenix. Intriguing series. Two young coaches, Jason Kidd, Monty Williams, both NBA lifers, won a Hall of Famer, both multiple-time head coaches in the NBA. That Jason Kidd made his team buy into defense, much like Ime Doka did in Boston with his squad, has changed their fortunes. I mean, they have a transcendent star and look a little more Donchester with two R's. But Jalen Brunson, a.k.a. Show Me the Money, Rod Tidwell, Jay McGuire in the house, is an X factor for them. Dorian Finney-Smith is going to play as important of a role as Mikel Bridges if he can mimic in any way what Mikel Bridges does on the defensive end when he's guarding either Luka or Jalen Brunson. If Dorian Finney-Smith can do that against Chris Paul, against Devin Armani Booker, this could be a compelling series, as it should be. Second round, semifinals, and they'll get easier as you go further and further into the playoffs. The one matchup I'm going to look at is the Phoenix Bigs versus the Dallas Bigs. Now, I'm not really counting Dwight Powell that mix so much as I'm counting Maxi Kleber and his ability to shoot from the outside. What Utah didn't have in regard to big men and mobility, Phoenix does. JaVale Lindy McGee can move. DeAndre Ayton is a problem, and he can move. He will go on the perimeter and guard someone. They both can. So there are going to be some adjustments that have to be made. They can't go five wide like they did against Utah. I think that Phoenix, coming off the incredible 14-14 closeout game performance of Christopher Emmanuel Paul, has never been done in the history of the league. Didn't miss a shot. The point guard, as they call him. Not going to make any predictions as yet. Dallas can't utilize the same gameplay they did against Utah. How they adjust to the versatility of the Phoenix lineup, it changes the dynamic. In the East, the future of Lonzo Ball in Chicago. That knee, a problem. So is Zach Levine's knee. How can they improve? I don't know what this iteration of this team will bring, but they are a destination city. Is the Rudy Gobert for Nikola Vucevic trade in the works? Mm-hmm. That might change some minds. Billy Donovan and my man Karnishevis in the front office might be talking that same talk I'm talking right now. We'll find out. In Atlanta, the 2021 Eastern Conference finalists to play in, what are the lessons learned by this team? Who's going to move? How do they improve? Was it a fluke last year? Can they get better? They have ball hands. They have people that can do their thing. When Trey Young goes out of the game because they're so dependent on Trey Young, they don't have other people to create off the bounce for themselves and others. That's what they're going to need. A dynamic second and third ball handler, someone who comes off the bench can do that and give them a lift. Lewis Tyrone Williams Jr. is not walking through that door playing like a multiple-time six-man of the year again. It's not going to happen, Atlanta. Looking forward to seeing what you guys have next on the agenda. In Toronto, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal said that they're in no man's land. They play. It's like Oatmeal Man when I talk about Gil Scott Heron. They do just enough to keep the job, but not enough to lose it. This team right now, as currently composed, is good enough to make the playoffs, but what more beyond that? They don't have a superstar entity. They have a great rookie in Scotty Barnes, no doubt. Pascal Siakam, 
great player? Is he a superstar or just a star? And Fred Van Vliet, the same thing. We'll find out because do they need that injection? The only time we've ever seen them really win anything is when they had Kawhi Leonard. And I guess that's one of the last times you actually saw him play, really, since the bubble and before that. It's been a couple of years. But the idea is that you, you need a superstar to win. Don't have one. And what about Nick Nurse? Is he going to up his purse by being courted and wooed by the Lakers and other teams looking for a quality head coach? Even though he said, hey, look, I'm good here in Toronto. And he is. He is minted. He's goaded in Toronto right now. He won a championship. And he's the head coach of the, the men's senior national basketball team. That's a good gig. He got it good. I don't think he's going to leave. But you never know. Money talks. Especially if you have some degree of institutional control as well. They know they're willing to give up to get coach like Nate Nurse. We'll find out. And last but not least, in the East, of course, we've got to talk about Brooklyn, who was swept by the Boston Celtics. They're on summer vacation like the other teams are and had a very interesting character chime in on the Benjamin David Simmons saga. Damon Fox, the man who portrayed Ray Charles and actually sang the hook on Kanye's Gold Digger, said we should stop piling on Ben. You don't know what he's going through. This is true. And it's easy to pile on these guys. I mean, make jokes and make memes and stuff. This is the world we live in now. I get it. But it's also said that women out here in these streets want a man who don't play games. So is Ben Simmons the man? Fits that role. But I'll be here all week. Try the veal. Really, what it comes down to for me in looking at these series, especially this Brooklyn series, and the team that was comprised, the, as I like to say, the metaphysical art installation that is the Brooklyn Nets, led by one Kevin Rain Durant and Kyrie Andrew Irving, is that they are now victims, especially Kevin Durant, and subject to the paradigm, to the dynamic that was created the first time that the hashtag, he who shan't be named, had a bad series. Of course, the golf holes will move because, oh, KD came off an injury, he's 33, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you know, the hashtag didn't make the playoffs this year. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. People will move the goalposts as they see fit. But when the hashtag played a bad series, there's a referendum on his entire legacy. His legacy was ruined because of a bad series or a bad. It wasn't even a bad series. It was a bad game. Oh, he had a bad game against the Washington Wizards. He should. He's no. There's no way he could be the GOAT. Okay. Now, every other NBA player, a superstar who's being compared to a man many called the GOAT, are also going to be subject to this. And shouts out to Paul Anthony George on his 32nd birthday. These guys used to be young guys, and now they're getting older. You're going to miss them when they're gone. But when I'm speaking about referendums, and it flashes the light on the Kawhis, on the Paul Georges, on the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irvings, is that a couple of years ago, the super teams and super duels were being formed in Brooklyn. In L.A. with Kawhi and Paul George, also in L.A. with the Lakers, the real team in L.A., I guess, to a lot of the Lakers fans, with the hashtag and a.k.a. street clothes, Anthony Davis. They have a couple things in common. They're all black men. They're all multimillionaires. They all play in the NBA. What they don't have in common is that only one of these three has a championship in the span of time in which they got together. Perceptions and realities, though. Who's doing worse? How it started and how it's and how it's looking right now, we know the difference. And before we get out of here, I want to shout out Gianna Bryant and Nike, Vanessa Bryant, the late, great Kobe Bryant as well, for the release on May 1st, the birthday of Gianna Bryant. And her Mamacita sneaker, of course, is her dad's silhouette with accents that reference and speak to her style and what she was trying to accomplish as a young ball player. All the sales and proceeds going to the Mamacita Academy. And it made me wonder, I was thinking about this, like, 
and I don't want to be macabre about this. I hope I'm not. But in those final moments, however brief they may have been, I wondered how Kobe was protecting his queen, his young princess, his queen in training, whatever you want to call her, as best he possibly could, even though he knew the outcome. I didn't want to imagine what it would be. It would be knowing that we didn't have any recourse. We didn't have anything to do. We couldn't change what was about to happen. Then think about his teammate who recently on another podcast called The Pivot, run by Ryan Clark, Channing Crowder, and Fred Taylor, three former NFL athletes, sitting with Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal. And in his 50s, he's on the fifth floor, just like me now, starting to express regrets for how he behaved when he was younger, when he had it all. And he just got greedy, as he said. Had a wife, as he said, finer than a mug, gave me babies, beautiful babies. She did everything she was supposed to do as a wife. I didn't do everything I needed to do as a husband, as a man, as a protector of my queen. And even though that's done, and he's realized this in hindsight, she'd be castigated for recognizing it. it was, oh, you can never, re no, no, you don't dictate how he can move and what he can do to repair his relationship with the mothers of his children. In particular, he talked about Shani O'Neal, his ex-wife. And uh, I thought it was touching. I thought Shaq was very revealing. I thought he was very honest and open. And I enjoyed seeing that from him. It made me reflect on my transgressions in life. Now, I'm disrespectful. I've been on occasions in the past. I'm not one necessarily to hold regrets, but I do want to honor and respect any and all that I've ever heard in my life. I'm working to be better each and every day. And I hope you're doing the same and honoring those who've taken care of you, of those you must take care of each and every day. So do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run, Will Strickland. Rich Kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, my guy. Easy.